This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Three, two, one. And welcome everybody to this episode of Coming Home with John Allen. I am your host, John Allen. And before we get started with my new friend, Matt, I want to tell you all that I appreciate your listenership. I appreciate your viewership. If you want to support the work that I'm doing, look in the the, uh, description of this episode and uh, you'll see a link that you can click into if you'd like to donate. All contributions are greatly appreciated. It's not necessary. I'm still going to do what I do but it's greatly appreciated. You help me expand my reach. Um, you help me to keep this thing growing with your donations. So thank you so much. There, business. Now, All right. to the fun stuff. Hi, Matt. Hey, John. How you doing? I'm doing well. I've good. been looking forward to this. I have too. It's been, uh, it's... It's really, good to have you here. And it's a pleasure to be here. It really is. I'm, I'm really excited about the work that I do and, and so I, think, am I. I think I'm even, even more excited <clears throat> about the support that I get from everybody that I've been in contact with, uh, in, in trying to start this business and been well, up and running now for about two and a half years. And we're we're going to talk a little bit about your past okay. and your qualifications, but if we could jump forward to, you know, roughly two years ago when this, what you're doing now started to grow, how did this come to be? Oh, uh, just tell people briefly what you do and then tell us how you got to where you are now here in Norway. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm uh, in the United States. I was a psychotherapist for about 20 years or so. Uh, and uh, before that I had quickly done a quick uh, stint as an English teacher for about five years. Um, at university level teaching? No, or? high school high teaching. School. Okay. High school teaching. And um, kind of the the thing quickly that got me from teaching English to becoming a therapist was that one day in the parking lot of a high school that I was teaching at, we had a student who uh, was the valedictorian of the class who came into the parking lot the day before he was supposed to graduate, and he had a gun in his car, and uh, he was going to commit suicide. And uh, huh. because I was one of the teachers in the building, he actually wanted to speak with me, and he asked also for the uh, the principal of the school to come out and speak with him. And the, the two of us went out and spoke with him for about, I think it was about four and a half to five hours. We okay. did, And we didn't call the police. We didn't escalate anything. Uh, but at the end of that four and a half hours, and, and he did give the gun up to the rector. He didn't hurt himself. Uh, but at the end of that four and a half hours, I had kind of a mind-altering experience in terms of what career I wanted to pursue. And That's very understandable. That's quite the uh, baptism into that field of work. It was. And, and I had been a teacher in that school for uh, several years and uh, I knew our counseling program wasn't very good. It was a, a private school. Our counseling program wasn't that good. And then I realized at the end of that experience that I had no experience doing counseling, oh. but that there was this tremendous opportunity, a tremendous need. So you were seeking that knowledge based upon that initiation into that type of work. Uh, it was it was a, a, a baptism of fire in yes. many ways for me. And I I literally left the school that day physically shaking, but also realizing I need to uh, pursue a different direction uh, in my life. I enjoyed teaching, but it wasn't terribly exciting. Uh, and within two weeks, I had applied to the master's in social work program at the University of Michigan. 
University of Michigan. Yeah, that's where I got my MSW from. Okay. As a as an Ohio person in Ohio State. Uh, yeah, I feel sorry for you. Yeah, okay. that's okay. Well, well that, that, that'll be another podcast episode. <laughs> the debate on... Uh, the, yeah, is well, it the, the debate about gold, why is Michigan is better than Ohio State? That's the de- you guys hear this guy? Yeah, sorry. And he's a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, so this uh, rather abrupt initiation um, through a tragic episode, which turned out okay, and you come out of that feeling a little light-handed when it comes to resources to handle that type of thing. So you sought the knowledge I, I, I to was... better equip yourself. To Next, if, if you should happen to come into a situation like that, or were you thinking you want to gain this knowledge to help yourself and others in a general sense? What no, was your mindset? I, my mindset was uh, I need to be a therapist working with teenagers because I see the needs, ah, yeah. uh, like uh, the, the psychological <coughs> needs that they have, and I also saw the lack of resources. And all my life I've been kind of a, a eye on lack of resources type of person. Yeah. Um, always noticing what's missing. What's the part of the, the hundred piece puzzle? What's the one part that's missing that would make it better, that would make it complete? So you have a curious mind. You're a, you're, you're, you're a thinker and an evaluator uh, of circumstances. I, that's an awfully nice way to put it. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept You'll that. You'll take that? I'll take that, sure. See, I see the yeah. good in you, even though you're a Michigan guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love your last name, by the way. Thank you. Goodhart. Uh, Goodhart is... Matthew uh, Goodhart. Uh, the story, the quick story is that my great-great-great-great-grandfather, uh, somewhere in there, uh, <laughs> was on a boat coming from Ireland to um, uh, New York. Uh, someone fell overboard. Oh. My great-great-great-great-grandfather did something to save him, whether he threw a rope over jumped into the water himself. So he did something that saved his life. And then when they got to Ellis Island, um, the person who was uh, Americanizing all of the last names of people uh, decided he, uh, the, uh, the, the officer there heard the story of what my great grandfather had done and gave, it changed his name to Goodhart. And there's your family name. And that's my family name for four or five generations. Interesting. Well, you're certainly living up to that because the type of work that you're doing now, just to jump ahead, you are, um, you know, there's such a thing as a traveling salesman. Sure. You're the traveling therapist. Yeah. uh, You got pretty much a set route, do you not, from... It's at this point, it's all of Norway. Okay. Um, And I have an office. Well, my main office is, uh, well, for everybody, they should know that along with being a therapist, I'm also a full-time English teacher uh, at Holta Vidragona in Ekeberg uh, up on the hill in Oslo. Yeah. So that's my full-time job. Yeah. But then my other full-time job, which I didn't think would become this busy, um, is that I'm doing psychotherapy and I, ha- I have an office in Oslo, Yeah. Uh, uh, downtown Oslo. It's a really, it's a great setting. And uh, I, uh, I thought I would see, be seeing a few people Every week or yeah. every month, and it's turned into um, uh, seeing people. I, I counted right before I came how many clients I've seen in the past year and a half, and I've seen 75 people. 75? Yeah, yeah, and I, I didn't, I, I had to make sure some of those num- names weren't the same people. I thought, how could I have seen 75 people in 18 months? But That's a lot of engagement. That's a lot of help to give. That's a lot of effort on your part. I've always been fascinated about 
that process of the psychotherapist or the psychiatrist, psychologist, or the medical doctor for, for, sure. for all things, how they manage to give so much of themselves and still remain in balance in their personal lives. Do you feel like you're getting pulled a little bit? Honestly, to, no. It, I feel no. really well balanced, and I think that's what's kept me in this business since I've been 35 years old. It's that balance good. literally gives you the stability and the strength you yeah. need to do what you do. I really do go home at night, and maybe a lot of people don't want to hear this, but I do go home at night, and I don't really think about the people that I've helped that day because I feel the same with teaching. When I teach kids, I'm, I'm very present, very mindful of them in the classroom, trying to teach as best I can. But when I leave that classroom, it's... You turn it off. Yeah, but it's there's no... I don't feel like there's some kind of a switch, and I don't feel like... I change in any way. I'm, I'm the same guy in the classroom or in the therapy office as I am in the hallway or sitting here right now. But it's also a matter of discipline, is it not? A matter of uh, having the discipline to compartmentalize yes, and that different I, aspects of that your I life. There's I a do. time and a place for these things. That, that I think I do really, really. Well. I always, you know, having been a, uh, being a former police officer myself, I oh. saw uh, all of these, uh, well, you see it on TV, you know, the bitter cop who drinks a lot and comes home and he's yelling at his wife. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. got the tumultuous personal life. That is a person who cannot compartmentalize. That For, literally takes the problems of work home with them. Yes. So I would imagine that's something that you are conscious of, or maybe, a, maybe less conscious. Well, or maybe I'm, it's I'm, just... I'm conscious of it as a gift, but not conscious of it like on a day-to-day, I need to practice this. It's really been... It's part it's of your life now, so... Kind of been gifted to me in some way. And and yeah. um, and honestly, I uh, I mean, there have been times in my life, uh, in my life when, uh, early on when I practiced a lot of meditation and ah. did... Uh, I grew up in a Catholic setting and I yeah. did prayer retreats and lots of... What people would call religious, what I look back and say, spiritual uh, kinds of practices, nothing yeah. crazy out of the ordinary, but meditation, yeah. um, uh, uh, 30-day retreats where I would go off by myself and spend 30 days on a long yeah. vacation in a setting simply by myself, spending lots of time writing. So that is active care. uh uh, uh, you're taking care of your spiritual side. And I, I, I kind of smiled when you, when you uh, differentiate in a way between religious and spiritual because religious has turned into this almost a dirty word. Kind of, yeah. Whereas I feel it's safe to say that everybody to a, a certain extent is spiritual. Yeah. Everybody feels, everybody believes, everybody thinks, and that in itself is the essence of spirituality. Right, And uh, but I don't know how many people... I sound like a hippie now. That's okay. You look like one too. Ah, that's right. Yeah. If I uh, had hair, I'd be Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the whole the whole sense of uh, I think everyone has a, a spirituality to them, but then the question becomes: Do we do we nurture it? Do we practice? Yeah, it? yeah. What you do know? you do with it? What do we do yeah, with it? You know? Yeah. Um, wow, that's a whole other podcast episode. That's two uh, extra podcasts. That's two, at least okay. we could do a series. I'm, I'm moving in. We could do a series. I'm going to move in more. right now. Couches maybe long enough for me to. <laughs> curl up and probably not to stretch out on. Now, when you do your, when you conduct your sessions, your therapy sessions, they go in English, correct? Correct. And That's in, the only and, language I speak. And many, and that, that probably means that many of your clients are American expats living here in Norway. 
the way I advertise it, the way I started, uh, would you like to hear the starting story? Yeah, please. Yeah, please. so uh, I'm, I'm, I was a high school teacher uh, up in, uh, in Eckerberg. It was about two and a half years ago. A student came to me um, and said, uh, my parents, I'm having a lot of problems at home. I originally was talking to him about his low grades in class and yeah. said, you know, what's, what's going on? How can I help you? And, he, and, and, the, and the school I teach at is a health school. So that means oh. we're, we're training all of the kids to do some type of health work, whether it's nursing, whether it's yeah. nursing assistant, whether it's a school social worker, whether it's an ambulance, uh, a, a paramedic. So uh, everyone, in theory, in our school gets training to be health, a health okay. worker. So um, I had the, a student who knew, I talk about my background yeah. as, a, as a therapist when I'm in the classroom because it's a health school. And a student said, uh, came up to me one day and, and uh, after I had talked to him about him having lots of learning problems, not getting his work done, he said, you just don't know what it's like to be in my home. My mom's an oh. alcoholic and my dad <sighs> yells all the time and I could really use your help. My parents could use your help. They're looking for help. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, I don't speak Norwegian. And uh, the kid said, well, my dad's from London and my mom's from New Zealand, so... Uh, I didn't even know he had English-speaking parents. Yeah. That's, a, that's so bad as English was. <laughs> and uh, But I said, well, you know, if they want to see me, and I, I called them, and we got together. We got together, actually, in the back corner of a Starbucks uh. because I didn't want to meet them at their home because I wanted I wanted kind of a neutral setting. Give them an exit, yeah, I would g- think. If, yeah, 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 and, and it gave me an exit, too, yeah. right? Um, and I... Uh, spoke with them for went to uh we went to starbucks and we spoke for 30 minutes or so just as like an intro um but i was going into that having not done psychotherapy for 15 years since i had been in um, norway so i was feeling you know kind of imposter syndrome oh here we go again yes you know 20 years of practice in the there's an epidemic of that going around yeah there really is and uh and i feel it even after 25, 30 years of doing psychotherapy. I mean, sometimes it impacts me. But so I, I, uh, I met the family and I started working and the the uh, parents uh, made a lot of progress real fast. wasn't a hard thing to do with. There were just some specific things they were having difficulties with, and but especially about uh, immediate future planning. That was their okay. That was their stressor. So I yeah. targeted that. Uh, neither one was uh, really suffering from a mental health issue. They were just having a lot of stress in their relationship. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so worked with them for about four months or so, four or five months. I think I had maybe six or seven sessions with them every three weeks. And um, things worked out. And during that time, uh, I, I I had thought 15 years ago when I came here, oh, I could be a psychotherapist. Yeah. But then I have to learn Norwegian. And my Norwe- I just thought uh, <laughs> that probably isn't going to happen, I think, to yeah. do therapy with people in their native language, you better have a really good handle on that language. Sure, sure. And even though I'm an English teacher, I'm not a linguist. I'm not a person that, or I'm not a polyglot. I don't have, my brain does not have access to a lot of Understand, different yeah, languages. Yeah, yeah. So you can I, be a great English teacher, but be terrible at learning Norwegian. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And, and I have so I have tinnitus too, so learning, uh, a, learning a foreign language is just really are, difficult. Are you, a, are you a musician? No. 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 That's, that's another. That's another podcast okay. story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Three podcast stories. Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll get to. You're it. coming back. Okay. <laughs> well, you know where okay. I live now. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that that uh, af- after seeing that family, yeah. uh, word got out, 
And uh, then I thought, well, I should do what I was thinking about doing 15 years ago. And I thought, uh, I, then I, um, I I put an ad out in uh, Nor- Americans in Norway or Americans, Americans in, Nor- in Norway, yeah. in Norway and Americans in Oslo. Hit the hit the two big sites and uh, said, well, who is in need of psychotherapy? Or I forget exactly what the ad was. And within I think two days, I had eight phone calls yeah. or eight emails, and and it just took off from there. And within two months, I. I got an office downtown Oslo. Yeah. Uh, looked around. I was a little bit worried because the prices were six, seven, eight thousand kroner a month for it's, for small offices. It's ridiculous in Oslo. Just to put this in a in a um, dollars and and square foot thing for my American listeners, in Oslo you're going to pay around six hundred bucks for maybe um, yeah nothing nothing. Not too much more than what you see here. I, I, the, the smallest private office space I could find after three months of looking was probably, this would be private, was about uh, ten to 12,000 kroner. So that'd be 1000 to $1,200. Yeah. But and you have the customer base. You have the client base now to, to support the overhead of having the office. Because Well, well let, let me, let me yeah. the end of that story is yeah. when I was looking for uh, space, I... I had the great fortune of bumping into somebody who um, he was, he's the building manager at the building that, yeah. I, that I have my office in. And I explained to him what I was doing and uh, he uh, gave me half off my rent ah. because of what I was doing. And, uh, and I've also, there are uh, good people out there. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean the list of good people that's made this happen is it's incredible. Uh, it's been a ribbon of good people. Yeah. So he gave me the office uh, half off, uh, and um, and he actually even referred a few people to yeah. me. And then um, business started coming, and then I started getting calls from uh, Bergen, and and I had I had received it was kind of coincidental. I received four phone calls from people in the Sandefjord area yeah. within maybe forty. It's about an hour and fifteen minutes south of here. For those of you who. Are not uh, living here in Norway. Yeah, about uh, so I uh, and my dentist coincidentally was in Sandefjord. Yeah. So I was going down there to to, to my dentist, and um, my dentist suggested, well, actually a client of hers suggested to to her that um, I use they they have a beautiful waiting room that looks like an office. Yeah. Uh, even more beautiful than this room. And uh, it was a uh, my my dentist said use my office on Saturdays for free. Wow! So and then yet another example of and I and I point this out that there's good people out there because I I see I see it there. all the time. People say the world is going to hell and and there's no good people and you should love uh, you should seek out uh, relationships with animals more than people. I saw somebody posted that on on Facebook today. And I'm telling you, if you're looking in the right places, and I understand people's circumstances can be different, but if you take a minute and just close your eyes and breathe for a second, and then open your eyes again, and you're going to see some beauty out there. Yeah, there's there lots are of it good too. people. Oh, this trip, this, I, I mean, I believe that 95% of people out there are really good people. As my good friend Henning Reme wrote in a uh, acoustic uh, uh, instrumental song that's called Most People Are Good. Yeah. And I use that all the time. Most people are good. And they I think, are. and I think most of those people, and and I certainly have experienced it in my life, we're broken at times. 
Uh, yeah, and, and, and that's a good thing to mention. You know, I don't want to point at people and say there's something wrong with you if you don't see good in the world because it's not that. People are carrying trauma. People have past incidences or past memories that are less than positive. Sure. And that can cloud your vision. That can cloud your acceptance to new um, uh, input, new impulse. Clearly. And you're going to miss some of those things, and it's not your fault. So I want to make sure people understand that. I stand fast on that fact that most people are good. There are good people out there. Yeah, and I'm, I, I encounter them all the time. Yes, and uh, so and then uh, I uh, I was uh, so I started getting calls from Bergen, and I am and it coincidentally, my son is finishing law school in Bergen next year. So I started. I, I my wife and I had been visiting him in Bergen every couple of months, flying over, and I was getting these calls, and I thought, well, could I combine? visiting yeah. my son with seeing people. I mean, I'm not going to want to go to visit him. I'm not with him all day. I've got some time. Yeah. And um, uh, a friend of mine who I met, who was, who's a, he owns a bar in Bergen, Trey 23 bar. He said, why don't you use my place on uh, Saturdays or in Sundays before the bar opens. <laughs> so another then example I, of good people I, standing up. He, yeah. uh, he's from Brazil. His name's Antonio, bartender of the year in, in Norway last year. Ah, congratulations. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a great guy. He said, use my place. And I said, how much will this cost me? He said, use it for free. That's beautiful. Yeah. And uh, then I um, uh, started seeing people on Saturdays and I said to him, business got business was booming and i said can i use it on sundays too so uh once a month i go over to bergen yeah. and i use the basement of his bar which is on the walls it's full of skulls and decals and ac dc <laughs> stickers and i thought i'm not sure this is a really good <laughs> therapeutic environment but everybody i've met there has said this is really cool this sure beats the normal therapy office. I was just going to say, I would think that for some people who may, might have a little anxiety of setting foot into that world of therapy, the fact that it's not in this clean, white-walled, exactly. uh, with soft elevator music playing in the background, it might give them a, a sense of relaxation that it's not in that setting and that it's in a more everyday setting like a bar basement yeah, or something yeah, exactly and, and and everyone uh the first three or four people that i brought in i was kind of apologetic to them saying well uh, you know this is this is how i'm keeping your costs down because the bar owner yeah. is is charging me nothing for this and everybody was i was doing couples counseling there and i had this very elderly woman who said i've never been in a place like this i've missed something like this all my life yeah. and this is great yeah and uh, and and uh, many of those people um or better or for worse, have become very supportive as being uh, uh, occasional um, uh, visitors, occasional yeah. occupants of the yeah. bar, uh, and that's been good too because they're um, they're they're keeping my friend who's opened up his business to me during the uh, COVID times where yeah. his bar was closed. They were making sure that uh, he was getting some financial support. Too. I see. I so see. That's, uh, so yes, it works there are out. there are a tremendous amount of good people out there. Most people are good. Yeah. Um, talk to me, if you would, please, about the, um, because a lot of people would think, oh, psychotherapist, you know, how did you get your education approved here in Norway? Or how did you get certified here in Norway? Yeah. Explain how that works here so well, that people I, know. I can, and, and maybe some people are going to want to hear the answer, but, uh, well, I was, uh, 
So I got my master's in social work from the University of Michigan uh, at the time, and I still think it is probably it's it's the best ranked school of social work in the United States. It's yeah. always it's always in the top three. Yes, Columbia, um, uh, highly Michigan, respected. Yeah, yeah, very uh, at the top. Yeah. Highly respected by by professionals in the field of social work yeah. that haven't been to the University of Michigan. They're constantly saying the people who are educated there kind of know their stuff when they're coming out of the program. So um, I uh, uh, basically I was licensed by the National Association of Social Workers. I was licensed in the different states that I worked in, mm-hmm. state of Michigan first, yeah. then I moved to Washington State. Um, so I very easy. Um, I had so much experience, it was easy to, to be uh, licensed. But then when I moved here, um, one of the reasons I didn't, even think about starting a practice here 15 years ago was I was thinking, well, I'm sure I have to speak Norwegian. The language, yeah. Yeah, you know, so when it it wasn't just clients that would be speaking Norwegian, but it would be like, I probably have to be licensed and blah, blah, blah. So um, I didn't think about it. But then when I started investigating it, uh, I went to Helsa Norga, who is the the licensing wing of the health department. And they said... uh, uh, are you calling yourself a psychologist? I said, no, I don't have a master's mm-hmm. in psychology. I have a master's in social work. Um, and they said, well, as uh, the, the the nutshell version was, as long as you don't call yourself a psychologist, the the name psychotherapist or clinical social worker are not recognized by the state of, by the country of Norway. But that doesn't mean you can't practice psychotherapy. Just exactly. Can't, you just can't call yourself a, a psychologist. No. So there is no licensing body for the work for the work that I do here um, f- via the Norwegian government but but they they know I do it because yes, yes and they say fine just don't call yourself a yeah. psychologist in other words and this is important I want people to understand this it's it's quite legitimate uh, it's not breaking any kind of a rules this is an example of an American uh, expat who is living in Norway who found a path to meaningful work and and believe me that your work is meaningful and I want to put that out there because and and maybe this comes up in some of the things you talk about with your clients Um, there's sadly way too many Americans living here in Norway who have not found their way they may have had that great career back home but they come here and they just don't see any opportunity right yeah happened to me when I first came here I I uh, I had been uh, the director of a, a, a fairly small hospital uh, in the state of Washington. I had a pretty good private practice there. I was doing, a, uh, I was coordinating a lot of mental health services in the state of Washington, in the Seattle area. Yeah. I was supervising 40, 40 mental health professionals that, oh. that, that their sole job was to go out and do emergency psychiatric evaluations for yes. people that were suicidal. And so I had all that background. I moved to Norway, and I couldn't get a I, I couldn't get a job teaching English. Yeah. I couldn't get a job as a therapist. Uh, so I got a job at the airport for a year, and I got so I don't want to say depressed because then people think clinically depressed. But I got so bummed out that I was doing nothing that was meaningful with my life. Well, it's, that, it's a frustrating condition to be in. Yeah, it is. Uh, and my, you have all this ability. You have all these desires to do meaningful work. But you can't, or you're not for whatever reason. And yeah. you feel locked out in a way. I mean, I'm not blaming anyone in Norway for, I mean, not learning the language. That's part of being locked out, and, and that's on me. But 
there didn't there didn't seem to be any opportunities for me to uh, make make any kind of money so that I could survive. And I moved yeah. here to be with my wife, and my wife said to me, and she was one of the one of the first people that was greatly supportive. And she said, "Go back to the United States and work for a while." Uh, and, uh, and, and it was just so happened that my job was available to go back to. Ah, okay. Uh, and so I went back for two years. She came, she and the boys, her boys came back with me for one year. And then after two years in the States of giving the boys a cross cultural experience, then we came back and we thought we'll try it again. Yeah. And I came back and I wouldn't say I just got lucky finding a teaching job. I had a, uh, uh, a principal who interviewed me, who, uh, understood that I didn't need to speak Norwegian to be an English yeah, teacher. Yeah. I got my first job um, just a couple of months after I came here working in the school system locally here in Drummond, and they put me in charge of running a project, wow. and I couldn't even speak Norwegian. I did learn Norwegian very quickly sure. after that, but I got my foot in the door without having that language skill. So it's it's it's... You know, I, I like to tell these stories, my own and people like you, so that other Americans here in Norway see that it is possible to make it uh, with or without the language. Of course, you, as you say yourself, not knowing the language, it does narrow your, your possibilities. Greatly, greatly. But having said that, you have succeeded. You are succeeding. Yeah, without you're, it. You're, you're expanding on what you do. Uh, so the possibilities are out there. How many, you know, without divulging anyone's secrets or without giving up any names, what, how many or what percentage of these American clients that you speak with are in that situation where they feel that their, their work situation, their work life is not up to par and it's affecting them negatively, psychologically, mentally, emotionally? I would say roughly, uh just in terms of work, I'd say it'd be about 25%. But just as a clarification, it's not just Americans. I'm seeing everybody that speaks English. I've, yes. I've yeah. got Brits. I've got Canadians. I've got Aussies. I've got Kiwis. That's, uh, good, that you, that's good that you point that out. Um, it's just that I know a large part of the listenership for this particular episode, sure. with us being active in that Americans group, they are American Americans, expats. Yeah. yeah. But well, I, yeah, I, if we if we expand it out to all of your clients, I, a good percentage say, of them, I would say it's about twenty five percent. But it's not so much them finding work or finding meaningful work; it's they found meaningful work and now they're adapting to Norwegian culture. Ah, and uh, I have a couple of clients that I'm working with that were pretty uh, disturbed when they had their job interview in English and were accepted in English and then all of a sudden they get into the workplace and I guess the boss didn't tell them that they're going to be speaking Norwegian with everybody else because it was quite a shock to a few and then they, they felt like um, even though they could do their technical work in English the socializing uh, and, and the connection a lot of people didn't want to speak English with them how do how do you feel about that not speaking Norwegian? How does that affect your social life? You you're working a lot. You you're on the road and all this stuff. Yeah, but I'm, you do have a social life. Yeah, I do. And do you feel limited in any way? I by don't. Not, I really no. don't. But I guess I I have to admit that I probably have missed out on great relationships I could have had if yeah. if I did 
have Norwegian as a, a language under my belt. But so I'm, I'm sure there are people I haven't been able to connect with. But sure. But my life is pretty full between my two jobs and my social life and my family. It's pretty full, and I, uh, I I've been lucky enough to have met a lot of my social life is through the people I've met who are parents of kids that have been in my boys' oh, classes. Yes. So yeah. when, when when I've mixed in that circle. So I have two or three, I think, fairly good friends, not really close friends, but friends I could go to in a pinch yeah. uh, that uh, are Norwegian but mm-hmm. speak English relatively well yeah. and have yeah. no problems connecting with me. Yeah. That's one of the advantages of being here in Norway. Most people from a certain age and down speak Norwegian or, or I'm sorry, speak English or at least understand everything we say. Yeah, I think from about the age of, I'd say maybe 50 at this yeah, point. Yeah, something around there. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but even some older folks, like when I moved uh, to the area, I'm, I live about uh, 70 kilometers north of Oslo. So when I uh, moved into the rural area, I thought I'm really going to have, that was going to be my difficult audience to win over. But it really, they were remarkably inviting. They all wanted to, you know, they say, no, speak English with me. That's okay. I have found that very often I have to tell, especially when I'm dealing with people from more rural areas of Norway, because we've lived way out in the country. We still have our home way up on Sailand, up in Finnmark. Oh, wow. So I know about the rural parts. And it seems that those are the people who want you to speak English to them. And that's a, I don't want to say it's a trap, but it is a trap that you can fall into. Someone like me who speaks fluent Norwegian, it would be so easy for me to just speak English to everyone that told me to speak English to them. Sure. But then I would probably start losing my Norwegian skills. So again, that whole language thing, you know, if it, it, well, it, it, pl- it plays a part in, in, in one way or another. The most difficult part in my life is the fact that I don't speak I don't speak Norwegian, period. I really don't. I understand very few Norwegian words. And when I'm in the classroom with Norwegian-speaking students yeah. who I am teaching English to, it usually takes an entire month, the, the entire month of September, for them to truly believe that I do not understand Norwegian. Yeah. They'll throw some curse words at me, and I kind of, <laughs> I kind of know what those are, and I, I, I know some basic phrases, but it's like I just don't respond to them. And it's probably good for them. If you're learning English, speak English, and you'll learn it quicker. Immersion is the best there way. There you go. Pedagogically, more yeah. uh, immersion is the way to go. Yeah. And uh, I keep track. I, um, I've i been teaching this in my 14th or 15th, 14th year teaching, and at the end of the year, I, I uh, survey every one of my students and I ask them, well, how was that this year for you? Yeah. And I would say in the high 90% area, my students say to me, you made me learn English. I love it. And they say it with a smile on their face, not like they've been punished. I mean, some don't, some don't pass, but Being they still a, learn a little bit of English. A teacher is one of, that's one of the professions where you, I mean, you really, really feel either the results or the lack of results of your teaching you feel that in your very soul you see the effect of the work that you do yeah. on those kids yeah and and i think some for me as we were talking about like compartmentalizing i think it's easier for me to compartmentalize therapy than, yeah. it, than it is teaching because when i'm doing therapy i'm, I'm working 99 percent with adults yes. they need to take responsibility yes. for their own lives and 
and I work with them, but it really is their their adventure that they have to figure out. Whereas yeah. with kids, I'm a lot more flexible, and I understand sure. that uh, you know kids are they're not at the same maturity level. So yeah. uh, I'm pretty mellow with them. Like they can try and get me angry, or but that's just like I expect teenagers to do that. I expect teenagers to they're they're learning very the basic things of life. Yes. So yeah. being patient with them is incredibly important. One of the best feelings I get, you know, as I told you, my first job was running a project in the school system. And I also worked as a teacher. And I was working with kids in eighth, ninth, and 10th grade at that time. And these people are now, you know, in their middle to late thirties. And I see them around. Yeah. The, the best experience was because we moved away from this area in 2007 and moved way up to Finnmark and lived up there for eight, nine years, something like that. That's the top of Norway. Yes, yeah. way, way up way there. Up. Yeah. And then we came back here in 2014. And I think it was the second day after moving back, I ran into one of my old students. What was that like? Who was a grown man yeah. who had a, a, a wife uh, one child with the second one on the way, uh, a and career. How, and how long had it been since you had seen him? <sighs> 10 years? Over 10 years, Over 11, ten. 12. Yeah, okay. And that feeling when he told me, I remember, John, when you said this, and yep. it taught me that. Yep. I remember, John, when you said this, and it taught me this. And he, he kind of went down the list, and I got real emotional because – Several years of separation kind of dimmed those experiences for me, but obviously it hadn't been dimmed for that student who is now a man because he's listing up all of these things that he remembered. Beautiful experience. And it's, I'm Beautiful. Oh, I, when I hear stories like that, and I've, I've had people come back to me over the years and say, I'm actually in contact with students that I taught in the school that I was teaching at back in the United States. Huh. And and I and I, now I talk to their kids. Yeah, uh, I just helped one of my students from the United States. I helped their daughter write an application letter to Harvard University. Uh huh. And so that's like uh, that's like that's spanning now twenty five years of yeah. you know going back to the United States. I, but these stories, I am so sensitized when I walk into the classroom about. We can say a hundred good things, and we can be teaching English or whatever our subject is. Say one wrong thing. Oh, yes. That can stick with the kid for the rest of his life. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and, and I've, I've, uh, unfortunately, I've had a few kids come back to me and say, you know, Matt, you said this to me many yeah. years ago, yeah. and and you know, it's like I, you know, it's like, wow, did I really say that to you? Yeah, I am really sorry. And they said, well, you know, it gave me food for thought, but. Uh, but those kinds of stories have always taught me that I have to be extremely careful yeah. with what I say. You have to, yeah. And you have to really know your mood as a teacher when you walk into the classroom. And you've got to know your mood as a therapist when you walk into the, 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 the session. You've got to know, you've got to really be not centered on yourself, but you've, you've got to bring the best of yourself to each class you teach. Yeah. Uh, and not necessarily you have to have it, the, I don't mean... It's the best planned class. You have to bring your best self, yes. your best spirit yeah. into that classroom, into that therapy session so that you're really making sure you're not going to, A, do damage in any way, but yeah. really, B, more importantly, be focused on those people. And Well, you literally have their lives in, in the palm of your hand. Yeah. 
Well, and as a, as a therapist, uh, the work I did back in Seattle, I literally did have people's lives in my hands because I was doing a lot of suicide evaluations, yeah, yeah. sometimes two, three, four, even yeah. five a day on a really, really long day. And you walk, and even that job, I was lucky enough, I don't know where this gift comes from, um, but I was able to walk away from those evaluations and be able to get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Not worry about it. It's like if, if I if you do the best job you can. You've got to have a goes, clear conscience at the end if, of it all. If you do the best job you can yeah. and something goes wrong, you've done the best job you can. And maybe somebody else could have done better, but you were in that situation. Yeah. But if you're going out doing work where you're not really qualified to do it, and then you're kind of, you know, it's like, and, and that was my worry about starting my practice here because there is no licensing for social workers, you know, for psychotherapists. And so um, when I when I meet people for the first time, I, I usually do a phone interview for half an hour and I talk for about 15 minutes about my background and I always explain to them, listen, there is no licensing procedure for me here in yeah. Norway, but I was licensed for many years in the United States. I was never sued. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's my background and, and I, but I think it's, I think it's a good thing. A lot. I, I see some people in certain, um, certain forums will talk down on that fact that there's no, um, uh, uh, licensing organ, uh, for, for psychotherapists and people do it also for coaching. Oh, they life, talk life down. coaching. Yeah, life yeah. coaching. Yeah, I, yeah. I engage in that. I have clients okay. for that. Yeah. And, and, a, and a lot of people look down, you know, Norway is very focused on that paper hanging on your wall. What kind of diploma, right. what kind of certification do you have? They're Very often they're very preoccupied with that. But I think in the case of psychotherapy, life coaching, coaching of any kind, I think it's good that there's not this strict regimen around it because there's a lot of people who are good coaches, who are good therapists, yeah. who, if there was this big speed bump called certification in Norway, they would never, they would never be able to do, go out there and do the work that they do and help the people whom they help. Well, I wouldn't be able to do it because I don't know Norwegian. The language, I'm sure, there you go. I'm Perfect sure it would example. be in Norwegian, so that would... Perfect example. That would limit me. Uh, and I've just recently, I was getting so busy that I asked uh, to... Um, uh, Americans who are female uh, to join me because I you want to name drop them, give them a shout out. Yeah, uh, uh, Jill and Don, Don uh, Rasmussen and uh, Jill Serum. Um, they are. They started January first. I was getting so busy, uh, but I was also concerned about like there is no certification. So how do you get to know who they are, what their background yeah. is? And I didn't ask them to do a pretend therapy session but we sat down uh, I sat down with each of them for quite a while and uh, and Dawn actually uh, it comes uh, graduated four years after I did it from the University of Michigan oh. so like I knew her, I knew the yeah. training she got yeah. uh, Jill came from a different background she, she has a master's degree but she came from a different background so I spent a little bit more time talking yeah. to her and uh, and that's it's all um, uh, if there was a licensing program I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't minded if it could be in English and but uh, like the there is a Norwegian program if you want to be a practicing psychologist there's a six-year program that you yeah. have to go through here but and that's for psychologists for a psychologist yeah, yeah. Uh, but they do they, and they, they're clinical psychologists and basically they do the same work uh, now they may 
do some psychological testing. But I don't think they do a lot as much of it as a psychologist would in the United States. Explain to the people watching and listening, what is the difference then between a psychologist and a psychotherapist? Where are the differences? Well, a psychologist can be a psychotherapist. It oh. depends on the, the line of training. It's the same as um, social workers. Mm. When I was in uh, the Michigan social work program in 1992, you could go on a research track. You could go on a uh, clinical track, which is what I did. That was if you want to be a psychotherapist. Yeah. You could go on a policy and planning track. Uh, so you're working with government agencies creating... Quite lucrative. Uh, well, maybe. Could be. Could, could be. be. Yeah. Um, uh, so there were, there was different tracks. And, and um, with the uh, uh, psychology program in Norway, uh, there's a behavioral track and then there's a a neuro-linguistic track, I think it is. But those uh, those are two-year master's programs. They don't allow you to be cl- to do clinical work. You cannot call yourself a psychologist when you're finished with those. But if you take this six-year master's program, clinical psychological yeah. program, but it's a six-year program. Yeah. So it's a- That's interesting that you mentioned the neuro-linguistic uh, aspect of psychology. Excuse me. Uh because in, in some forums I'm reading about how uh, a lot of people who are psychologists are getting irritated with coaches using NLP, Neuro Linguistic yeah, Programming, yeah, yeah. and their coaching practices. It's a, In other words, they want that whole cake for themselves. Sure. And I just, I, to me, I just, I don't understand that animosity um, when all we're talking about is people who are out there doing good work, trying to help others. Right. And, and I think like, um, I, I know NLP, but I'm not skilled in it. I don't practice it. Um, but I'm, I'm aware of it. Uh, it's like, uh, EMDR and there's other forms of, there's over a hundred forms of, of therapy that people can kind of go shopping for. I do basic cognitive behavioral therapy, family dynamic therapy, um, so, do, you talk, do you talk with uh, people in a family setting, or is it always one-to-one? Well, uh, in the United States, I did a lot of family work. No. Here, the most family work I've really done, I do couples counseling. Ah. Uh, so that's... Uh, that, Should that I go was, wake up my wife now? We can no, 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 no. Let her sleep. <laughs> Don't want to bring up anything. She won't that's be receptive a, to very, too much uh, John, NLP. John, that might be five more <laughs> podcasts right there, right? Have you... Have you seen any of my episodes with uh, with my wife? Oh, I, I am going to She's... confess I have not listened to any of your episodes, but it it really is it's it, it seriously is on my agenda. No, but it's almost as if you know uh, what kind of person she is when you when you tease about how she would react if I were to go wake her up now. Uh, search up any episode where Snoopy is my guest, and you'll okay, see. Okay. Uh, She's a she. She'll cut me, so I, I need to I yeah, need to be careful. Be careful. Be careful. I'm in the room next door, so please be careful. No, she's. Uh, uh, that is my, that is my rock. That is my queen. Yep. Yep. Right I have, there. I have uh, one of those at home too. Yeah. For, and, and for me, everything that, uh, uh, everything that people see me do, I wouldn't be doing if it wasn't for her. She literally pushed me into putting myself out there, putting my story out there, yeah. you know, getting on the mic and talking about my thing. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for her encouragement. So, and I, and I have a wife who allows me, her husband, to have two kind of full time jobs. Yeah. And she has been so supportive in this. She doesn't understand it. And my wife is Estonian. Well, and, and you said, and you said you haven't listened to my podcast. I have not. She's been my guest on my podcast. 
a couple dozen times. And okay. she's, if you ask her, what's John's podcast called? No, no she idea. has no clue. John, John's she, podcast. But she supports me. Yeah. And it, so you kind of have that dynamic with yeah. her. She doesn't really get what you're doing. Doesn't really. I don't expect everything from 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 anyone. It's like if you get bits and pieces of support, then that's yeah. you know. And my well, wife, all of it means something. Well, my, all of it. And my wife's Estonian, and she comes from a background. She grew up in the Soviet Union, moved to Norway when she was 18, uh, but to kind of escape the Soviet thing. And uh, she, when you talk about psychotherapy with her or counseling, she says, "Oh, that's that could be." You know, who oh, needs that? Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, but of course, she comes from a culture where you, yes. you know, the the Ronald Reagan mentality. Everybody yeah. should pick themselves up by their own bootstraps yeah. and move along. And it's like, do you say that to somebody who has cancer or diabetes? <sighs> Please just pick yourself up by your by your bootstraps. Yeah. Take a couple of pills and just march on. It's, I saw some guy uh, online talking about President Biden's uh, State of the Union speech. Yeah. Um, the guy is obviously a right winger and I, I haven't seen the president's state of the union speech, so I don't know anything about it. But what I saw this guy commenting on was, uh, the Biden administration's, uh, efforts to, uh, cloak the entire, um, uh, this entire apparatus that has been built up by, you know, good Republicans, as he put it. And he wants to cloak that and cover it in a wave of communism. And I'm like, how 1982 Reagan administration can you get? Yeah, that's that's about it. And uh, I'm just amazed with I, I, with I mean, they're the the vision of like staying on the subject of just healthcare. As I've really monitored that over the years from Norway, American healthcare. It's just it's a. I was you know my whole thing uh, just to cut cut you off for a second just so I can a, finish yeah, what I was saying. Just you know, the, it's, yeah. it's my show. It's John's show. <laughs> he can come off as much as the he coming wants. Coming home podcast with Matthew Goodhart. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but 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 this this goes in line with that um, because this guy was pointing out how um, people like Reagan or Bush one uh, never intended for healthcare to be available for all Americans. You're supposed to work for that and earn it. Right. And I, I, for the life of me, I can't understand that mentality. How can you be, you know, take politics out of it. How can you as an individual be that cold hearted to the plight, to the condition of others? Uh, uh, you see that there are some people who, despite all of the work that they're doing, they're just not making it. And no. When we have the funds to support those people, is it not just a cold-hearted, uh, uh, terrible person who would deny that person basic health care? Well, we just, we have this I, I, we I have this concept it. of people that uh, they're not working hard, so naturally they must be lazy. Yeah. So that so they don't deserve that. And you know, I, I it, when I was in the United States, I I uh, worked with the homeless for many years. I opened three different homeless shelters. And these people that were coming in to see me um, were or coming to live with me. I, I uh, bought a house in Monroe, Michigan and opened it up. It was a six-bedroom house, and I filled up the bedrooms with homeless people. Yeah. And uh, uh, I was kind of the hero of the community in the sense that I was taking homeless people off the streets and giving them a place to stay. But then the, the mentality of people supporting me then was, well, you know, you've got to get these people and get them out there to work. It's like they want to work. Do you have jobs for them? Because they'll come and work for you. What um, people what people skip over, uh, they skip over the part of, you know, what, what kind of trauma is this individual dealing with? 
what kind of trauma, what kind of pain has to be dealt with before they are in any kind of condition to be able to work. You know, so if you want them to work, you've got to address that. But then these same people on the right side of politics want to take away what? Health care. Yeah. So. Or public health care. I mean, public health care, yeah. they're, they're okay with, hey, if you have a job and you have yeah. private yes. medical yeah. insurance, yeah. go for it. Uh, so I, I don't know. So, but, but that's, It's an exercise in, um, well, well. I don't want to, you know, there's a lot of good people on the political right, but there's also a lot of people on the political right that have slowly begun to lose their humanity. Because yeah. I think it's a question of humanity when you when you can look at someone in such dire straits and just think, eh, whatever, it's their fault. Well, I, I remember back to Richard Nixon, and uh, I, th- I was 14 or 15 when Watergate was happening, but I was following politics when I was maybe 12 or 13 and interested in health care then. And you, you had a Nixon administration that was very concerned about they They were doing a lot of, they had a lot of discussions about should we create Medicaid or Medicare for mm-hmm. all. I mean, those discussions were happening yeah. among the Republican Party. Uh, and now it kind of takes the progressive wing of the Democrat Party yeah. to keep that conversation alive. Yeah. Even mainstream Democrats don't, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll say we need more health care, but they're not talking about a, you know, like a... Do you think we're ever going to get there to where we have a health care system that is open and available to everybody. Well, John, we are there. We're in Norway. Well, (laughs) thank you, Norway. But do do you think that the United States, do you think they're ever going to get rid of this, this um, cold heartedness, this callousness to people who are in need? I would imagine someday, but not in my lifetime and not in the lifetime of even a lot of young people listening to this, because it's so connected to private medical insurance companies. And, and that's and so, a big lobby. Uh, it's a huge lobby. I think it's like the fifth, fourth or fifth largest lobby in the United States. And uh, Really? I would think it's even higher than that. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know, but yeah. Um, so it's, and there's, there's uh, a lot, there's a lot of money pouring in. Yeah. To, and how do you go against your, it's like going up against big pharma or going up against, uh, the uh, the coal industry, uh, if you're you know in in an area that where you have you know coal plants or whatever, uh, well, you're fighting the you're fighting something that's really entrenched. Yeah, there's a machinery that has been progressing and moving forward for decades, and it's not going to stop overnight. And people aren't educating themselves about well, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, it's like it, for for that for this entire system to change, people have to know. I think, for instance. That there are countries like Norway that provide... And I was just going to say, I think more Americans need to do what you and I and many other Americans have done. And they don't necessarily have to move to Norway, but but get out of America in some way. Exactly. Study or take a vacation and see what's out there. And get a taste for what the rest of the world is doing. Because, you know, uh, I consider myself a patriot. I love my home country of the United States, but it's extremely flawed. And I think the main reason for that is a lack of sight that everybody is looking in at their own navel and uh, American exceptionalism. You know, that's a whole discussion right there. But I think what that whole concept has done is it has literally blocked people's vision from any other alternative. Yeah, so many the the people who I meet it, it, it's a wonderful group of, of people that I'm working with here in Norway, Americans, because they are people who they've traveled, they've decided they want to live 
in a different country. They want to move to Europe or something has brought them here. And they're, they're open-minded to the idea of looking at another culture. Yeah. Um, when I was teaching in the United States, there were so many kids <laughs> in my classrooms that, and they were, they were young, they were 14, 15, they hadn't traveled much, but there wasn't really a vision of traveling to go see the rest of the world. And I honestly think if there's one thing in the world that educates people the most, it's traveling. Yeah. Go see what other cultures are doing, uh, it, and it certainly, I think it takes away a lot of the, uh, the, uh, stereotypes we have. Of, of, well, sure. Of, you know, it's just, you, but that's if, if you really go on an adventure, if you go on a two week cruise or a two week <clears throat> planned trip, or you go to, let's say, uh, Vietnam by yourself, but you stay in the main city. And well, you, yeah, or, I, you know, I, I, or I go think, to Paris for two weeks. I think all of us know that Norwegian who flew to Orlando and immediately jumped on a cruise, and that's their impression that was their of what America is all about. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're a know-it-all. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I tell them uh, that Ohio and Idaho are two different states, but they'll tell me I'm wrong because they were on a cruise from Orlando and they know, you know, so, yeah, it, yeah. so yeah, you, you can't just travel just for the sake of traveling, but you've got to travel and move throughout the world with your eyes open. My first big trip was in 86 when I went to Nicaragua ah, and, and uh, interesting we, time, uh, a group of 15 of us went because Reagan was talking about yes. the Sandinistas and how horrible they are. Well, I, I look back and th- well, back at that time, I thought that they were, I toured Nicaragua and, and the people, I mean, I, I wasn't government watched. I was going wherever I wanted to in the yeah. country. And people were saying, yeah, the Sandinista government, they're, they're helping us read, they're helping us write, they're, they're bringing us food and they're giving us freedom. They're allowing us to say what we want to say. Huh. Uh, unfortunately, I think, you know, Daniel Ortega, 40 years later, has certainly changed quite a bit but the the ortega that i had a chance to know back in the 1980s was very concerned about the people and very i mean i think he still is in some war what an interesting time to have been there that was uh, i was right in the thick of all of that uh yeah the sandinistas and and reagan's uh, outspoken uh 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 views on that whole situation cold war and and, yeah. and uh, do you know are the soviets funding the central american countries and and there turned out to be a little bit of truth to that uh but, but it was twisted though it, but, to but, further that it, republican agenda at the it time. was it was way twisted and i think you know like what i was being told by the republican party back then was maybe 10 percent true as opposed to now it's what zero <laughs> percent I say that jokingly, but I, I will also say I think it is a sad thing the way uh, the Republican Party has changed. It is unrecognizable when I see um, uh, Republican Party members and Republican mouthpieces like Tucker Carlson yeah. actually applauding what Vladimir Putin is doing. Or Donald and actually Trump speaking, applauding. Yeah, Trump yeah. And, and, and speaking openly against uh, uh, the people of Ukraine. Yeah. And the world's efforts to, to make that situation better or right, you know, it's to me, it's jaw dropping and it's quite sad the way the Republican Party has changed they, 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 without this becoming a political yeah, uh, podcast. Yeah. But my gosh, it's it's uh, this is news of the day, you know, well, and then to, like, you know, for me to to shift that all back to mental health, uh, 
you know, I, I, Republicans can talk about, and even Democrats can talk about the need for physical health care. And I, I make a distinction only because I feel like I need to. Yeah. Um, so uh, we have to give, but mental health care is always um, the uh, the bastard child yep. that's left on the doorstep. And well, if we have any money left over, we'll fund those yeah. programs maybe. Yeah. Um, and honestly, for those people who you know have heard well? Yeah, Norwegian medical care is wonderful. Yeah, I've been, I've been, I've had the experience of having great Norwegian medical care. Yeah. But one of the reasons why I opened my business as a therapist was so many stories of people coming to me saying, "Well, you know, the medical care system is wonderful." But and, and these are really true stories. Uh, so many people that I'm seeing have said, "Well, I've waited." on a waiting list to see a therapist for 12 months. I had someone who came in and said, I've been waiting 16 months to see a therapist. I found the therapist. Then they said, <laughs> after I spoke with them, I can have two sessions. Isn't that something? And those people, those are the people that think are, about how those people are suffering yeah. while they're waiting. Exactly. And then they get their hopes up because they finally get in, but then they get crushed when they're told, yeah, we have one more meeting in, that's it. I don't have any more room for you. Yeah. It's or, terrible. Or, no, uh, it's not that I don't have room. It's that your mental health issue isn't serious enough for, oh, for me to... Oh, is that what they're being told? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so if you're if you're on the roof of a building and ready to jump, you'll get some <laughs> attention. But if you come in and you're clinically depressed, but not you're, you're still functioning, but barely, you may not get more than two, three, four sessions. I just wonder what that does. I can only imagine what that does to the person who feels that rejection when they've waited so long for help. Yeah, and and uh, and I've I can even anecdotally tell you the story that um, I I'm working with someone right now who waited about twelve months on a waiting list, came in for two sessions, found out that the therapist that they were assigned to didn't really speak English. And, uh, and, oh my goodness. and, uh, they said that's the best that they could do. They couldn't reschedule them to see somebody else and that they didn't need to reschedule them because their issue wasn't so serious that they were going to get more than two sessions anyhow. So I have people coming to me, um, who are saying I've waited online too long. This is part of my like welcome speech when I meet people, yeah. uh, People say to me, you know, I've waited online 12 months. Uh, I met a therapist that didn't speak English. Uh, I wasn't given more than two sessions. I wasn't serious enough, having a serious enough mental health issue for them to deal with me. Um, and it, and the stories go on and on yeah. from there. So it's, uh, and what I'm promising, what I have, uh, uh, and I, well, what I promise people is that I will have immediate contact with people, meaning within 24 hours that they call me, I will respond within 24 hours. They, yeah. uh, that's a promise. They will, yeah. And I will respond. Uh, now it's the two female therapists. Yeah. But we, but in other words, they're on the line with someone who can help them. And my, my it, well, I was, I was uh, coming up here today from, from uh, Sandefjord, and I was talking to one of my female therapists, who I don't know all that well. We haven't spent a lot of time like just chit-chatting together. She said to me, what's the fastest you've responded to someone? I said, I, 35 seconds is, is my record. <laughs> someone called me and I was on the phone and I just hung up the phone and responded to their phone call right away. Uh, so like, so um, my goal <laughs> is to see everybody, is to talk to everybody within yeah. 24 hours. And then I want to, uh, my goal personally, and I can't make this goal for the two female therapists that work for me 
work with me, not for me, but with me, um, that uh, I like to see people within the week. Yeah. Uh, if they can, I have the time to see people within the week. Uh, they may not. They may. It may be a week or two. But okay, all three yeah. of us are are very much into uh, immediate response and making sure that it's not in. A, you know, I want to make sure it's not a real emergency. Yeah, yeah. So once I know it's not a real emergency, a week or two. If yeah. there are and most almost, I think probably ninety five percent of people I've spoken to are so overjoyed that a they're hearing English from me. B, that I'm qualified. Uh, That's the start of the therapy right then and there. There's trust. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, trust. Exactly. And and uh, it's been, um, and the feedback I've gotten from folks uh, just about that has been great. Could you see yourself doing this full time and dropping the teaching job, taking a leave of absence maybe to test it out for, I don't know, six months, a year? No. No. You love, um, te- you love teaching that much? I love much? teaching. Um but uh, uh, there's a more selfish reason. The well, the because uh, I've got to be honest with all your listeners and viewers. Uh, it's it's the teaching is my cash cow. Well, um, so the other thing about the job that I'm doing is I'm saying to people for who call me for therapy that I will see them for any price, and I don't set a price. What I do is I when I meet with them for that first half hour, I say to them. I want you to think about what you can afford to pay. Yeah. And that and and think about being fair to me, but yeah. think about being fair to yourself. Uh, and then when you come in for your first full session, uh, in the beginning, we'll we'll have a discussion about how much you want to pay me. Mm-hmm. And if that works for me, if it works for you, I've I haven't turned anyone away. I have a uh, student that I'm doing counseling with in, in Sandefjord. She buys me a cup of coffee. From uh, yeah. from espresso house, not even a Starbucks in Santa Fjord. <laughs> come on, come on, Norway. Uh, so she buys me a cup of coffee and she brings it to me, and that's my payment. And I think that's a testament, a true testament to your sincerity. Um, you're definitely living up to your last name, Goodhart. You know, you're you're doing this uh, with with uh, with what seems to be a very genuine desire to help people. I think we if if. That's that's the essence of humanity. Is it not? I mean, yeah, I mean, really. I mean, it's like, and that's why I, I see good in just about everybody. And if I don't see that good, then it's either my eyesight that's failing, or it's something that's that's that something that's happened in that person's life yeah. that's been totally devastating to them. Ninety nine point nine nine percent of the yeah. time. Can I say something real quick to my viewers and listeners, and Feel then I want to ask you a couple of questions to wind things up. My, as you know, my throat, my voice is... I hear it, I hear it getting it's, worse it's, from the last... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those of you watching and listening, remember, go to the uh, link where... I'm sorry, go to the description of this episode, whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcast. Uh, go to the description of the episode. You'll see a link or two or three. You can choose whichever one, and you can go in there and... buy. Me, you talk about a cup of coffee. There's a link called Buy Me a Coffee which you figuratively buy like a $5 Starbucks cup of coffee, and that can be your donation, $5. Nice, yeah. So you'll see those links. Um, your support is definitely appreciated. Um, let me ask you two things. This is two things I ask all of my guests to do. Okay. At, well, now at, I'm at glad I haven't listened to any of your podcasts. Yeah, now you're totally unprepared I'm for totally this, which unprepared. is good. We're going to get the okay. real, real well, down the to... palms are sweating. <laughs> I love it. I love okay, it. okay. Um, do I win a if, prize, by the way, if there's a right answer? You win a prize. The prize is an open invitation to always come back. Oh, this five is more podcasts. Is okay. Ten. Yeah. Ten. So, great. Okay. Um, 
I, I want to I wanna ask you this. If I'm, I'm going to say three words to you, and then I want you to finish the sentence. Okay. okay I, ask, I ask everybody to do this. Okay. Finish the sentence for me. One sentence, okay? Matthew Goodhart is? A kind human being that struggles at times. That struggles at times. Okay. Want me to talk more about that? Would you? Would you please? Well, uh, do you dare? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt, because uh, I don't see the audience out there. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to, <laughs> it's just was, a little camera. There, yeah, it's you just know? a little camera. Um, well, <laughs> it's like I mean, I, you know, I, I, in the work that I've done in my life, I tend to people. People have said, you know, they, they give me some praise and. Well, yeah, I've, 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 you know, I've worked with the homeless and I've done anti-nuclear protests and I've spent some time in jail. There's another podcast, uh, and 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 people tend to praise me, but uh, boy, there's lots of struggles with with accepting. Sure, the, sure. You know, just kind of like I don't even coming here today. Like I don't really advertise myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for the spotlight. Um, and I'm only here, I mean, we're talking about me and the work I'm doing, but I'm really here not for to talk about me, but to let people know in Norway that, you know, that there are mental health services yeah. available. But that the, the struggle is how much of the spotlight is on me. And I really liked what uh, uh, what the president of the Ukraine said the other, the other day about, um, uh, I'm not iconic, Ukraine is iconic. I and, saw and that the, quote. And yeah. the focus is not on him. The focus is on the country. And I, I don't want the focus to be on me. And I sometimes feel uncomfortable when it is. But I accept I it. understand I'll, that. It's a little bit nice. It's a little feel good. I like sure, that. Sure, sure. But I really, well, I, you know, I'm here because I want people to know that if they're in Norway and listening to this or in America, but know people in Norway that are in need of mental health services to uh, go to mattgoodheart.com. That's my website. So if you're looking for mental health services, go there. That's good that you plug your website so yeah. that people know how to get in touch with you. You know, I, I asked you to come on here as soon as I saw, uh, I think I saw that first time when you put something in Americans in Norway. Yeah. I'm like, I got to get that guy on. And there, a little bit of time went before I actually reached out to you. But I reached out to you so that you can both profile the work that you're doing because it's beautiful work it's uh it's showing the goodness of you and that you're trying to help people bring out the goodness in themselves i think that's a wonderful thing that's what i do peripherally through this podcast but i also wanted to shine a light on you i'm literally doing that there's a spotlight on you there i wanted to shine a light on you because so much of my podcast is about people going out there and doing just a little bit to affect the spin of the world. Exactly. You know, you're, you're putting, you're putting, you're throwing that little pebble into the pond and the ripples yeah, one move person, outward. It's for me. It takes one person to make a difference. And I, I believe you're making a big difference. I think it's beautiful what you're doing. And I, I feel like, uh, you know, and I honestly feel like I'm really getting the feedback that I'm making yeah. a difference and yeah, that. Absolutely. Uh, and, absolutely. And, uh, a lot, a lot of, uh, and it, it's caused a slight issue among other therapists in, uh, I in can Norway imagine that. because it's I a can fi- imagine it's that. a financial thing because yes. I'm coming along saying I'll see you for any price, yeah. but I'm asking people to be fair. I've got someone paying me uh, a thousand kroner an hour, mm-hmm. but I've said to him, you can pay me anything you want. But he he says, I think a thousand is fair. I have that girl who's pe- getting me a cup of coffee. They both are giving me, I think, very fair. 
yeah, uh, amounts sure. of whatever you know of, sure. of of support for my work. But then there were therapists, and I, and I get the side of that. There are therapists in Norway who this is their primary job. See, because this is my second job, because school teaching school is my cash cow. I can afford to see people for lesser money. Yeah, but so, see, I I think there's a lot of jealousy out there, and unfortunately, um, you know, uh, therapists are people too, and therapists are influenced by those negative emotions like jealousy. Yeah. But, uh, um, but, but 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 on the other side, I think it's you know they have to survive. If thera- well, if therapy is their primary job, they they have to charge people more. Sure. To pay the sure. mortgage and pay the car. But sure. I'm in this. I I've created this niche for myself that I I. I can afford to um, charge people less, and that's upset and I say, a few people. Well, and I say amen and good for you because you are making your service available to people who really, really need it. You're making it available to people who feel closed off from the go-to system, you know, with the possible language barriers, yeah, yeah. with possible long waits, uh, with the possible unrelatability because uh, a traditional schooled, psychologist may have a significantly different background than an English speaking immigrant to Norway. So there's that identifiable aspect to it as well. So, uh, you know, I hope everybody can go out there and make a living, but I say thank you and amen to the way you're making your living because you're putting something out there for people. And, and it's not just me. I just keep repeating and, and emphasizing that there's so many people that are, you know, I mean, not just my wife and my dentist that lets me use her office and my friend who... We have a, a team bar. around you that's making this possible. People giving me uh, financial contributions, the, guy, the uh, owner of the building who cuts my rent in half, uh, people uh, just doing a, a tremendous amount of uh, support work for me. And, and I challenge people to... Uh, not challenge. I welcome people to go to your website, which is... Matt Goodhart, M-A-T-T. G O O D H E A R T dot com. There you go. Spelled out for you. Go there. Uh, If you need help, go there also. If you'd like to contribute towards him and his two therapists uh, that work with him to, to go out there and do this work, it costs a little bit. And as you hear, people are paying varying degrees, but we can also donate uh, to help him further this, uh, this, uh, this service that he's putting out there for people. And uh, just to, to let you know, so, um, with the money that I'm making, uh, I'm trying to kick it back to people that I'm seeing. I buy them books. I uh, We've just recently, uh, a, week, a couple of weeks ago, started a yoga class by... Uh, I by, saw that, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, <clears throat> by Aaron Koenig, who is uh, yeah. an expert in doing yoga for people who have anxiety. And I don't charge people for those. I pay for that. That comes out of the money that... People so this me. is an all-around good service for people who need it. Uh, yeah. And then we're going to be, hopefully, the goal is in the next six months, I have this dream, that we're going to start three, four, or five different support groups. So I'm talking with someone right now who's going to start uh, uh, an attention deficit disorder support group for, yeah, for adults. Yeah, I saw you announced that as well. Yeah, yeah for adults. So uh, so things are in motion. Yeah, and I and it, but I'm not... Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not going to approach burnout level. I'm doing things organically as they feel good. If I meet the right person, well, that's the way to do that, it. You know, that says yeah. I, I have this skill. I want to do this for you. Great. Uh, and, uh, because I'm, I, I, I'm at my personal limit in terms of how much time I can put yeah. 
into doing both my jobs, but it feels good. I'm at a, I'm in, and I even I had enough time to come and see you today. Yeah, it all, lucky me. Yeah, and I have the week. And and thank goodness to the Norwegian school system because for people who are over the age of sixty, they give one extra week of vacation. That's we, right. I mean, I get a, a lot of That's vacation right. as it is. That's but, right. But yeah, so yeah. this week is my week off to go do yeah. other things. So to come see me. And, come uh, see you. It's been great. I love it. I love it's it. Been great. Let me ask you the last thing before we sign off here. Okay. Um, I bring people onto my show because I feel that they're people who motiv- they are someone who motivates me, inspires me. There's someone I can learn something from. That's great. And I'm looking for those kind of things because that will then make me stronger sure. so that I'm in a better position from which I can help friends, family, and myself. Right. So that's why I asked you here. Thank you. So I think that you have the power to say something to my viewers and listeners, something that they can, you know, a paragraph, a statement of some sort that they can just play over and over in their mind as they go forth, as they march through this world with all of the struggles, you know, there's a lot of good things out there. There's a lot of good people out there, but there are struggles. Mm -hmm. There are hindrances to uh, success and happiness. What can you say to my viewers and listeners that can help them through that? I think the, the key phrase that I've learned in my life is you just can't do it by yourself. You've got to learn somehow. And I think in, in therapy that I do, you have to learn to reach out to other people because you don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. No one has all the answers. But when you're in a community of people, uh, when you can build friendships, when you can build support systems, yeah. that's the thing that takes a lot of anxiety and pressure off of people's shoulders, knowing yeah. we're, we're all in this together. And, and with the Ukrainian situation, even though... I, Ultimately, it's the Ukrainians that are in this together. It's the whole world that everybody wants to, everyone I've met, wants to contribute in some small or big way. Yeah. And so I think focusing on the community you're in uh, and building the community you're in, and that takes a lifetime, and it's difficult because, you know, like if, if you've moved to Norway or if you move around, it's hard to keep reestablishing that community. Sure. So I would say stay focused. Find out who your community of people are that are supportive of you and who you are supportive of and nurture that and cherish that and appreciate the goodness uh, that those people have. Wise words from a wise man, comforting words from a very comforting voice, especially among the non-Norwegian speaking people who need um, someone to talk to. Yep. Yeah, they do. And uh, thank you for talking with me. John, it has been an absolute pleasure, and I truly, truly mean that. Where have you been, though? I've missed you the last 15 years. Uh, well, again, uh, we we started off out in Hudum, mm-hmm. and then we moved up north, and that's where I was. And up there, I was doing totally different work. I was running three gyms wow. that I started, mm-hmm. and I was doing uh, work for uh, child services as an in-home uh, um caseworker oh, sure. uh, you know drawing upon my background as a cop working with kids you know with drugs and gangs and stuff like that and um, living that kind of life up there yeah. and then when it got to be too much because it was a lot of work I was having a lot of fun but it was a lot of work uh, we sold the house sold the business moved down here in 2014 and uh, it was in November 2019 when I lost my son. Oh. I lost my son to a heroin overdose. Okay. Yeah. 
and uh, crash and burn, depressed. And I told you my wife is the one who shows me these possibilities about putting myself out there, putting my story out there. She's the one that told me, get on a microphone, start a podcast and start talking about your story and start talking with people who you think can help you. And that's what I've been doing. This will be episode 173, 74, something like that. Um, And I started in, well, it was probably two years ago coming up this week, two years ago. So 172, three, four episodes in two years. I would say to all the people that are watching or listening that you really have a a gentleness about you. That I've been sitting here feeling like I'm really at home. I mean, I'm really comfortable being here. Well, thank you for saying that. And that is just a reflection of uh, the people who raised me, my mother, my grandmother, uh, uh, my aunt, you know, these, these strong but very gentle women in my life. And I have a continuation of that uh, through the strength but gentleness of my good wife Snoopy. Yeah, yeah. and that's made. That's made. I'm. I am all of them. Yeah. I'm not just me. I am all of them. Yeah. So thank you for that. And you are actually giving a compliment to each one of those women who have been in my life. So thank you for that. And and I'm I'm in a in a peripheral way i'm i'm trying to do the same kind of work that you are oh i hear you yeah, I'm trying to show people i'm trying to give what i can right. uh, to people through telling my story or through telling the story telling of others, others. yeah because i never would have told my story any other way if you hadn't have come along well you're a humble man um oh yeah okay and well, well, <laughs> well yes hum- i am a well, humble man well humble in the sense that you know you're not you know you're not paying for uh, uh you know big advertisements in newspapers with your name across the top and telling what you do well that's because the people who run all the facebook sites that i advertise on <laughs> i think you're one of them yeah uh don't cut me off and say that's an advertisement you can't do that i've been cut off of one or two and i'm thinking okay but like everyone else is well i'm an administrator in that uh in the americans Americans and norway group and i i am all for you know i don't want that group to be swallowed up in advertisements but i think that the work that you're doing is so important that an exception can be made not for your personal gain financially but for the gain of those clients that you're helping I think it's important work, and and again, I'm I'm uh, I'm honored to call you friend because I call you friend now. Thank you. Thank Everybody you. who's in that chair and that microphone uh, is a friend, brother, sister. Thank you. And I I support the work that this man does. If you respect me, I ask you to respect the work he does as well. Help in any way you can. Uh, go to his website, mattgoodheart.com. Uh, ask him for help if you need it. Um, or if you're in the United States. Find out how you can help with your local mental health agency or your local... Well said. Your local homeless shelter. Talk, well said, your, yes. or, or your local jail, which tends to be the the uh, crux of mental health issues and people who have mental yes. health diagnoses. Jails are the one place to go to to find people that are having a variety of mental health issues. So homelessness. Uh, and now uh, uh, reaching out to people who... Uh, maybe have relatives in Ukraine yeah. or are from the Ukraine. Now is the time, people. Now is the time to reach out to those folks and just say, how can I help you? And let them be part of your community, the community that's going to be supportive of you. And this is your chance as Americans to be supportive of other people, uh, regardless Amen. regardless of the politics. Reach out to people because yes. they're human beings, and we would want the same help if we were in their situation. 
more wise and supportive words from a wise and supportive man. Matt, thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you for gracing that microphone. Been a pleasure. Thank you, man. Thanks, John. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.